Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Welcome to this latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. I thought that our last program, which shared a message from Revelation chapter 8 verse 1, would have been the last message in the Revelation series. But after some consideration, I thought it would be edifying to consider the opening words of chapter 8 more fully, particularly as they relate to the prayers of the saints. I think every Christian understands that it is their privilege and responsibility to seek the face of God in prayer. And yet we sometimes wonder what do our prayers really achieve? We, we wrestle with unbelief and we, we struggle to understand the power and the impact of prayer. And so it is my desire today to open up the Word of God. And I trust and encourage you as you consider your own prayer life that you would see the place that your prayers have in the unfolding of God's eternal purposes. Indeed, the very power of the prayers of the saints. And so may God bless his Word to your hearts today. In Revelation chapter 8, we're going to read from the verse number 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Amen. We look to God again to bless uh, his word to our hearts tonight. Now this Second verse of the eighth chapter begins the next phase in the visions that God is giving to John. It is the seven angels with their seven trumpets. I encourage you to read these for yourself in due season. Tonight, let me just point out a couple of things regarding these trumpets. First of all, they are trumpets of woe. They are trumpets that announce woe upon the earth. The events that they bring about are events of great tragedy. Verse number 7, again, the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. So we're seeing here woe upon the earth. So much so, when you get to verse number 13, it says this, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices, the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So you have this woe. Now, of course, in the thought of the Scriptures in the Old Testament, this idea of woe is to come under the curse of God. And so with the thought of woe and tragedy, we flow immediately into the second thought, and that is of the wrath of God. The wrath of God that is being displayed over the whole world. 
And yet not that final display of God's wrath, whereby the new heavens and the earth are created and the earth is purified, but rather a partial display of God's wrath. Verse 8 and 9 referred to the third part. Oh yes, we've got warnings to the earth and the mountains and the sea. There's no part of the earth spared. But there is again a partial, a partial display of the wrath of God. It's your third part, again a symbol of not the fullness of God's wrath, but the wrath of God being revealed in part. And the first four trumpets announce physical displays of God's wrath. And if you like the last three, announce spiritual displays of God's wrath. And so why the trumpets? Well, the trumpets, of course, in the Bible speak of warning. Uh, these words of woe and wrath are given to warn people regarding the final display of God's wrath. You think of Ezekiel chapter 33 and the words or the instruction given to the watchman. And the watchman is to blow the trumpet and to warn the people. And so what you're seeing here is you're seeing uh, the purpose of God in the time again between the Lord's uh, ascension and his second coming. You're seeing the purpose of God to warn the world with displays of his wrath and also to judge the world in part for their ungodliness. And so you have in Romans chapter 1 the words of the apostle that the wrath of God is already being revealed in the world. We already see God's wrath displayed in the world. And so these trumpets, they are parallel to the seals. They are, again, giving similar warnings to the seals, but they focus particularly on the judgment of God falling on a wicked world alongside the thought of warning people regarding the coming day and the wrath of the Lamb. But as we read these words regarding the trumpets and we read about judgments, we also must understand the book of Revelation is given to comfort a suffering church, a church that is a church at prayer. You think back to chapter 6 and the verse number 10, we have the image given here of those who are under the altar, they're slain for the word of God, and they're, they're crying out with a loud voice to God, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? A church at prayer. And it is the prayer life of the church that's focused upon in chapter 8 and the verse number 3 and 4, where there's reference made to the prayers, first of all, of all saints, verse number 3, and then the prayers of the saints, verse number 4. The church at prayer. But what strikes uh, the careful reader of the Word of God when they look at this prayer life of the church is the connection between prayer and the trumpets. These are not disconnected realities. These are things that come together. seems very likely that the prayers of the saints are being heard, and in response to those prayers, God executes judgment and brings warnings upon the ungodly. See, look what it says. You've got verse number four. The smoke of the incense came with the prayers, ascended up before God, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And so there's a connection. The prayers, if you like, are provoking the censer. And again, we'll see later on the censer and the wrath or the fire that speaks of the fire from the brazen altar. It's cast. The fire that speaks of God's wrath is cast upon the earth. And the, the wrath of God is poured out in response to the prayers. There's a very important lesson here. 
if we see the parallel between the seals and the trumpets, well, the seals are indicating the will of God. Remember the seals, the scroll written on both sides? It is the purpose of God for human history. Well, the trumpets are sounding again according to the will of God. The trumpets and the seals, they're, they're parallel realities. Well, therefore, the prayers, the prayers of the saints are ordained of God as the means whereby His will will come to pass. If the prayers bring about the trumpets, well, then in part we can say the prayers are part of God's will to bring about His purpose on the world. Not that prayers so much drive God's providence, but prayers are part of God's providence whereby His will comes to pass in the world. God, on the one hand, executes His eternal purpose and will according to His own sovereign counsel, but yet on the other hand, He answers the prayers of the saints. Ramsey, the commentator writing on Revelation, says this, We are thus taught that all the judgments of God upon a guilty world and an unfaithful church are an answer to the prayers of the saints. It's really a remarkable statement. I remember reading through it in the last couple of days, and I went back to it today just to check what I'd read. It's in the sense of the prayers of the saints are, are part of God's purpose to execute judgment upon the ungodly world and the unfaithful church. He continues this, this is too often lost sight of. Absolutely, absolutely lost sight of, even by God's own people. And to it, the world is utterly blind. God here teaches us that true prayer is not a mere exercise of holy affection and an expression of dependence. Well, those things are true. But it's a means of the real and mighty power of God being brought upon the world. He says this, it is made so by him who bestows on all means and agencies and creatures whatever of power they may possess. Prayer is mighty, not only to bring down the gentle reins and dews of the Spirit's gracious influences and the daily blessings of our Father's providence, but equally so in calling down the judgments of heaven. Again, the prayers of the saints are heard, How long, O Lord? Well, they're not avenge or blood. And so here we're seeing the prayers of the saints, and in response to their prayers, the angel is taking the fire from off the altar and casting it upon the earth. What power we have in prayer tonight. We get before God, and God according to His will, and is willing to judge the ungodly, to warn the ungodly regarding the coming wrath of God, and I trust by God's grace bring sinners to repentance. All in response to the prayers of the saints. And so in light of these words, what we see here is that we see the sorts of prayers that God answers. Leaving aside the particular focus upon judgment, but we see in a more general sense, well, what are the prayers that God answers? Well, here I want to, uh, I want to highlight five different realities that come out of this portion. The prayers that God answers are, first of all, the prayers of the saints— Secondly, they are the prayers of the saints before the throne of God. They are the prayers of the saints before the throne of God on the altar. The prayers of the saints before the throne on the altar with the incense. And then fifthly, the prayers of the saints before the throne on the altor with the incense that ascend to God. 
And so I'm going to build that picture in your mind, put line upon line, and we'll draw uh, lessons from each, and we'll see it all coming together to that final sense that the prayers that God answers are prayers offered by the saints when they come before the throne, and they offer them on the altar with the incense, and they ascend up to God. So first of all, then, the prayers that God answers are the prayers of the saints. The term is used there, verse number 3 and 4, the prayers of the saints. Again, the emphasis in verse number 3, don't miss it, the prayers of all saints. That's a tremendous encouragement because we know who the saints are, don't we? And you turn back to just, let me just give you one example of one New Testament letter. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I've been reading this in my own devotions the last couple of days. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And you have the words, saints being used here, verse number 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Here's a great picture of what it is to be a saint. You all know the saints are not just those who are called so by the church of Rome, and in fact many of those are not saints at all, but the saints... The saints that are saints in the presence of God are those who have been sanctified by the blood of Christ. They're those who have been set apart in Christ Jesus and in union with Christ Jesus. They're, they're those who believe the gospel. They call upon the name of the Lord. And they've cried out to Christ for forgiveness. They've called upon Him for mercy. And they continue to call upon Him. These are the saints. They are those who live lives their souls washed in the blood of the Lamb. Their sins are dealt with, and they call upon God. They depend upon God. They lean upon God. They are those who depend upon God for every, every spiritual blessing. These are the saints. Such saints have their prayers heard in heaven. The prayers of all the saints. Of course, it is the saints who, according to Hebrews chapter 10, who have their hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Their bodies are washed with pure water. These are the, the sanctified saints. They're cleansed, they're washed, they're set apart. Hence, they have the confidence, the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. These are the saints. The saints who can come before the throne of God in the blood of Christ. Are you a saint tonight? In the simple sense, are you someone who's been born again? You've come to trust in Christ. You've called upon the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. Well, if those things are true for you, then tonight you're a saint in the sight of God. And as a saint, you have the access. You have the right to pray to God. You have the right to come boldly. You may be a young person here tonight, but you have a right to pray. You have a right to call upon God in the place of prayer and ask God to bless and to work in this place. You have that access, that right. And you have the confidence that the prayers of all saints are heard. They're heard in the throne room of God. Never lose sight of that privilege. The prayers of the saints that are offered secondly before the throne. That's what it says, doesn't it? Verse number 3. He should offer with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. We'll, we'll see soon this golden altar refers back to the altar of incense in the book of Exodus chapter 30. Uh, and that altar of incense was just before the veil, just before the mercy seat, the place where God met with his people. 
And so that picture of God and the throne, God meeting with his people, is the throne room scene of heaven. And again, the Ark of the Covenant, the throne room of God in the tabernacle, is just a picture of the heavenly throne. Remember, it goes that way. The tabernacle reflects what is true in heaven. God meets with his people in heaven, and so he meets with those on earth upon the throne pictured in the tabernacle. Well, here we see, therefore, the saints, their prayers, they are before the throne. You see, as the saints of God, we are petitioning the king. We are those who are submissive to the king. We confess that we are not worthy to enter his presence. Like Esther of old, we're waiting for the scepter to be reached out to us, allowing us to come, but the scepter has been reached out. It's covered in the blood of Christ, and we touch that blood-sprinkled scepter, and we have access to the very throne room of God, to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But we come reverently, we come submissively, we accept the fact that we are, we are His servants, and we supplicate this King. In submission, we come in supplication, calling upon the Lord for His provision and for His blessings believing in the might of our King and the grace of our King. It's a throne of grace, isn't it? Thou art coming to a King, large petitions with thee, bring for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. The grace and power of God accessible by us as we come to the throne. That's the second thing, the prayers of the saints before the throne. I want to take the third and fourth together. The prayers are on the altar with the incense. They come together, verse number 3, Another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And I said already, this altar, this golden altar, refers to the altar of incense. If you turn back to Exodus chapter 30, Exodus chapter 30, you'll see there the description of this altar of incense that was to be made. Remind you again, the tabernacle was to be a reflection upon what was true in heaven. Heaven's not based upon the tabernacle, but the tabernacle is based upon heaven. And so we're seeing this altar, this altar that was to be constructed in the tabernacle, verse number 1, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shitting wood shalt thou make it, verse number 3, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. This is the altar of incense. And they were to, again, offer incense upon it, no strange incense, verse number 9. It was to be incense according to the purpose of God. And you see, at the end of Exodus chapter 30, instruction regarding the making up of that incense. And so you have the instructions, or the description, sorry, in Revelation chapter 8, of the angel taking a censer. The censer here refers to a fire pan of some description. And the fire pan was filled with coals, which came off the brazen altar. And remind you back of the studies in the tabernacle. You go through the gates, you come to the courtyard, and there is the brazen altar. The brazen altar upon which God lit the fire, and the fire was not to go out. It continued there. It was the fire that consumed 
the sacrifice. And so the believing Jew would come with the lamb. He'd lay his hands upon the lamb, confess his sin, sin be transferred. The lamb was then taken and burned upon the altar. The wrath of God, the fire of the altar, consuming the sacrifice and not the one offering the sacrifice. You know all the pictures here of Christ, the Lamb of God, who took the fire of the wrath of God that we may indeed be forgiven. The pictures of the great gospel of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so the coals are taken off the prison altar, and to those coals incense was added. Now that incense had to be according to the will of God. You remember Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire before God. Oh, they took a censer, Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, but on their censer, they put strange fire before God, which God did not command them. But when the right incense is offered, the incense is put upon the fire, the coals from off the altar, and that incense is offered upon the golden altar, and it ascended up before God. That is what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 8. And so what is this incense? Well, if I can think of one more story, we have the story in Numbers chapter 16. Turn there, please. Numbers chapter 16, you have the story of the rebellion of Korah, and you have the wrath of God coming among the people. Moses tells Aaron, verse number 46, take a censer. And put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly into the congregation, and make an atonement for them. Now, this is akin to the atonement, the death atonement, in Leviticus chapter 16, when the high priest was to take a censer full of burning coals from off the altar. Now, that's Leviticus 16, verse 12. But in a similar fashion here, Moses is telling Aaron to take immediate action for the benefit of the people of God. And so Aaron does, as Moses commands, he runs into the midst of the congregation, and the plague was among the people, but he put on incense, and the plague has stayed. Verse number 48. So all of this tells us that the combination of incense and fire off the altar speaks of Christ's intercessory ministry. His prayers upon the ground of atonement offered before God are prayers that God hears. The altar speaks of his person, shitting wood, that incorruptible wood overlaid with gold, the person of Christ, God and man together in one person. His work, again, the incense is offered upon the coals of the prison altar. His prayers, he intercedes on the ground of his atoning work. And so in Revelation chapter 8, it tells us that there was much incense. It's telling us that the intercession of Christ purifies the prayers of all the saints. These are given together. That our prayers on their own would not avail, but our prayers are mingled with Christ's intercession. Hendrickson says this, These saints in persecution and tribulation are praying, but their prayer life is imperfect. It needs to be incensed with the intercession of Christ. Once these prayers have been incensed, the seer notices that the smoke ascends to the very presence of God. That's the incense mingled with our tainted prayers. 
Another writer says this, Christ is our great high priest who has more than enough incense to absorb all the faults of our prayers. Christ mingles his intercession with our intercession to cover the taint, selfishness, and earthliness of our prayers. And then he transforms them into that which is acceptable to his Father and presents our poor prayers to him, washed in his own blood-purchased merits. He makes something big out of something small, something beautiful out of something homely. Our prayers are offered with Christ's intercession, and they ascend up to God. That leads to the fifth thing. The prayers of the saints before the throne. And again, they're offered upon the altar with the incense, and they ascend up to God. That's what it says here, verse number 4. The prayers, the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. This idea of incense ascending speaks of that which is pleasing to the Lord. Incense offered with sacrifice is acceptable and it is sweet to the Lord. One man says these prayers are cleansed and sweetened and they really do come into God's nostrils. We, we surely feel the weakness of our prayers, don't we? But you will see that the prayers that are answered here are not prayers that are conditioned upon their strength. They are prayers that are sincere, but they are offered in the merits of Christ's atonement. And that is what makes them effectual prayers. Not the prayers based upon our strength or our merits, but the prayers that come with Christ's merits. They are pleasing to God. And yet the prayers themselves are not ignored. It does not say just the incense ascends to God, but the incense with the prayers of the saints. And so our prayers are pleasing to God when they're accompanied with Christ's intercessory ministry. Wonder of wonders, grace of grace, and such prayers are indeed heard of God and are used to fulfill the purpose of God in this world. I encourage you, have high views of the dignity of the place of prayer. Don't be moaned coming to the prayer meeting. Don't lament in the thought of how little we're accomplishing. Heaven knows what we're accomplishing in the place of prayer week by week. We are here praying in Christ's name. We're here praying the will of God. And the prayers of the saints ascend up before God. The prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. May God encourage us to pray more as we reflect upon the blessings of being part of his kingdom in these days. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. 
we meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.